into last on the breaks. This time we are back, as promised, in video format. And that means this week we're going to treat you to a nice big slice of visual Briggs because we're talking to Valentino Rossi's mechanic, Alex Briggs. Yes, a minor Twitter celebrity, no less. Uh, long-time mechanic of Valentino Rossi, as Fran said, joining us to tell us a number of stories from his many years in the paddock. Although uh, we have had to record a separate intro to bring you some up-to-date on some of the things that we actually discuss, guys, because you're going to hear us talk a little bit about golf. Uh, and at the time of recording, Alex had never actually scored a hole-in-one. Do you, do you score a hole-in-one? I'm not sure, actually. Yeah. I think you do. I don't know. As you can tell, we are not actually golfists. No. Uh, although golfers. we respect the craft muchly. I did, I did, I did uh, learn lessons in it as a kid, actually, and I enjoy it very much. I'm just terrible. But anyways, the update is that Alex, as of, we can say, as of the 15th of April, I think he did it yesterday, he has in fact now scored a hole in one. Just a singular bounce. So bravo to Alex. Congratulations bravo. on that. Uh, long time coming. So I'm sure he'd appreciate that update at the beginning. <laughs> but uh, on a somewhat different note, though, Fran. Yes. Well, as we all know, we hope that we're bringing you a little bit of entertainment with these podcasts to help us pass some of the time as so many of us are in lockdown. There's some pretty serious stuff going on in the world. But for many of us, we just need to keep our minds occupied and keep doing the things we enjoy and try and connect with our passions. So in MotoGP, unfortunately, we don't have any real racing at the moment. Hopefully, we will have later in the season. So for now, we have a few things. We have the virtual races that I hope everyone's been keeping up with. Top entertainment, unless you're on the receiving end of a Takaki Nakagami overtake attempt. (laughs) Uh, some true. great stuff and uh, seeing the riders all interact with each other and play the game is pretty interesting stuff I enjoyed that um, and then we also of course have the eSport Championship we've just got the guys who've qualified now for the draft selection so that's pretty exciting stuff to stay on top of as well congratulations if you are one of them moving through and that brings us on to another good bit of entertainment you can get yourselves, which is the new MotoGP video game. Yeah, brand new. Brand spanking new MotoGP 20 available as of uh, 23rd of April. All new improved. Players can, you can, uh, well, reading some of the stuff about it, it looks pretty immense, to be honest. You, players can develop and change bike setups more than ever. You've got a managerial career mode, aerodynamic changes, which you can do more aerodynamic changes than the actual factories can themselves, as of now, uh, of oh. course. And, uh, of course, you get asymmetric tyre consumption as well, and it seems like basically it's more realistic than ever. So what better way to connect to the sport in the absence of any other racing at the moment? And I think you can get it everywhere, can't you? You can. You can get it on all platforms. PlayStation 4, Xbox One, PC, Steam, Nintendo Switch. Anywhere you uh, you wish to consume it, it is available to you or will be very soon. Like we said, 23rd of April. And I do genuinely highly recommend it. Even if you're not usually that great at racing games, it's very entertaining. I struggle because I'm not very talented at it. But I'm also very entertained and it's great when you make that progress and it's a lot of good fun when you love the sport like we all do. And unfortunately, like we say, we're waiting for some more of it to come back. And in the meantime, why not set a few lap records yourself? Yeah, you might. You never know. You might find yourself within some draft for future esports series as well. You just never know. You could end up coming to a MotoGP race yourself. How awesome would that be? But I guess uh, without further ado, got everything. Got the two bits of key information here. So Alex Briggs, now a star of hole in ones in golf, and uh, also <laughs> plug the video game. But I guess we should uh, switch over to our minor celebrity friend in Australia. 
We should, and I actually think I'm not wrong making the shout out. I think the game's actually released on Alex Marquez's birthday. Just doing a little bit of research for something else, and that's just stuck in my head. So, well, how about that? <laughs> Good present for him. Happy birthday, right, Alex Marquez. <laughs> this is Alex Briggs, then, like we said a few days ago now, having a chat with us. Lockdown life in Australia, or almost, what he's up to, and what it's really like traveling the world and mechanicing around the world. So, we have now finally got our video set up, up and running. So hopefully we'll be able to bring you the audio-visual experience that you've all been promised. Um, and yeah, hopefully you can hear us all okay and we're ready to uh, dive deep into the history of one of the paddock's best-loved Australians. <laughs> well, it's not. It's quite a glowing review, isn't it, really? I tried. <laughs> I'm slightly worried you're running out of content, so that's why I'm, uh, I'm on. But anyway, we'll carry on. <laughs> no, it quite. Right, so Matt, do you want to take it away? Yeah, absolutely. Of course, like uh, Alex, one of the best of characters. But um, we'll get onto a little bit more later. But part of the reason because of that is due to your Twitter profile, of course, which you'll know. Um, but firstly, for is you've got it quite well documented. You got all the bases covered with your website, Wrench Racer. But for the people who don't know, tell us the origin story of how you got into Grand Prix. How long, how long have we got? Well, you can, I'll, I'll you can do a brief you... overview, but of course we know that there is an FAQ questions on your uh, segment on your website. So. so, so I mean, initially I got into motorcycles because uh, I was billeted to a farm at school and the kid had a motorcycle. It was for hockey, actually. Um, and I got into motorcycles. I, I loved it. And then as I went through school, I started racing dirt bikes got to a level where I was traveling around Australia um, with some of the guys that were considered the best riders, me not anywhere near that level, <laughs> but I just, that that's where it started. And I was at the same time to pay for my addiction. I learned to uh, become, or I became a mechanic uh, for a government bus company in Canberra in Australia. And that paid for my addiction. All my money went to motorcycles. And then eventually, uh, one of my friends, well, people started to, to uh, I started to work on friends' bikes that were quite good riders. People would ask them, who's working on your bike? Oh, me, mate, Alex here, as we travel around Australia racing. And I eventually got asked by Yamaha Australia if they'd like, uh, if I could work for them, for their motocross team. And uh, so I threw in the job that I had and did that, went to Sydney slept on the floor at uh, the team owner's place for a few years and got myself together. And anyway, and from there, um, I met more and more people, travelled around Australia more, and uh, one day got a phone call from Jeremy Burgess. I didn't know this guy. So this guy, JB, Jeremy Burgess rings and says, would you like to, um, would you like to go road racing? And the previous weekend, I'd just shaken hands to go to Europe for as a motocross mechanic <laughs> for Yamaha Europe uh, for a guy called Manik Bevertz at the time. And his mechanic at the time, we were all called Beefy in the paddock, and he's uh, Cal Crutchlow's chief mechanic. Oh, really? So he was a motocross mechanic at the time. Anyway, I rang the – it was an Aussie guy, and, and I'd been recommended by a bloke called uh, – we all called him Buddha. He used to work for a guy called Jeff Leesk, who raced uh, in European motocross. This is going on a bit, isn't it? But anyway, no, I'll good. carry on. It's all good. 
Yeah. All right. So uh, it's a there's a, a bit of history. Anyway, so I got the phone call, and I said, "Oh, look, I've just got to ring uh, another guy back." I rang Gary, who I'd shaken hands with to race in, uh, to as a mechanic in to not race to uh, to go to Europe as a mechanic. And that would have been my first trip. I rang Gary. Gary said, "Oh, you know what's going on?" I said, "Oh." I've been approached to go road racing uh, for a Honda as a, as a mechanic. And, uh, but I shook hands with you. So, you know, if you, what do you think? And he basically said, go road racing. It's a lot cleaner. <laughs> Literally or <laughs> metaphorically? Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Every sense. <laughs> so he, he said, uh, yeah, go ahead. I rang JB back and uh, I said, JB, yeah, that'd be great. I've never met JB. Um, at this time, and uh, basically, he offered me the amount of money, and I said, "Really, I've got the job like that." And he said, "Mate, don't worry, I can sack you anytime I want." <laughs> so that's how that was my first start, and the first first thing I had to do was go to Phillip Island for a test, and I'd never I'd never worked on a road road motorcycle uh, at all. So that was 1992. Turn up there and. Uh, that was that was a beginning for road bikes. Well, that's quite a beginning then, straight in Phillip Island, first time experience of it. Yeah. What? When the very first, first job I had to do. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Frank. Sorry, I was gonna say what when he says he could sack you at any time. Did that add a lot of pressure for you, or for you was it kind of just a wild ride? Like, okay, well, I'm not gonna ride now. I'm going to be a mechanic, let's see where it goes? Or did you have the ambition of like, right, okay, now I'm going to be a mechanic at the top level road racing? Well, yeah, so I had been mechanicking because I actually when I got the job at Yamaha Motocross in Australia, they called me and at that time I had broken my tailbone and I was sitting there <laughs> at home myself. So it was a lot easier decision. I mean, I remember I had posters all over my bedroom. I thought I was going to be the world champion, you know, as a motocross rider. So, uh, but I ended up, ended up working for a world champions for road racing. But so it was an easy call and um, then I ended up in Phillip Island. I forget I forget where we were going with that. Sorry, Fran, what was what, what was the question? Sorry, it was whether your ambition then changed to become like a top level mechanic and go as far as you could in that realm. Uh, I never I never made a conscious decision to go anywhere other than I, I knew I wanted to, to go to Europe as a motocross mechanic. And then so when the opportunity came to go as road racing, I knew I wanted to go. I knew I wanted to do more than what I was doing, but I had no idea where it was going to go. I had no idea who I'd work for. It ended up in this game, it seems to be, you have to obviously work to a level, but there's definitely a big part of it is who you, who you meet, who you know, and where, how you get on with people. That's a really big part of uh, of racing is how you get on with people because it's really easy to fall out and fall apart and just you can be a fantastic mechanic and just not get on with people and, and uh, that'll finish you in a heartbeat. So I had no idea how long. I remember my mum saying to me, how long are you going to do this for? And uh, I said, I have no idea, you know, because <laughs> in road racing for us, it's always been, apart from two times I've had, uh, single year contracts. So every single year is a single year wow. contract. You know what you're going to do the following year. So you're just an individual contractor. You're not an employee. 
Um, I've had two two-year contracts, the one I'm in now, and uh, which finishes at the end of this year, and uh, when I worked at Ducati, uh, that two-year contract. Wow. Apart from that, there's always been two-year contracts. So, uh, yeah, but I, I didn't know what I was doing. I remember going to Phillip Island. The very first job was, David said, can you help this guy? And this guy was named Patrick. He worked for Michelin. He's retired a few years ago. He was a great guy. And uh, you have to go down under the bridge at Phillip Island, and your first job is to win... Uh, Mick and Daryl, Daryl Beatty, come around the corner because Phillip Island is extremely harsh on the tyres and the last corner, you you all probably know, is really harsh. And they spin it up and it's really... So they wanted to know the temperature. We didn't have uh, sensors in tyres at that stage. So my job, first job, is to go out there. When they stop, hold the bike, just hold it, nothing special with a rider on it. And, uh, and Patrick would check the temperature with a gauge. You stick it in the tyre like this. And that was the first thing. I've never, I'd never been to a road race other than on the watching in the, in the before that. So the first time they went past me at Phillip Island, the very first time, I remember physically just going <gasps> and not breathing. Like I, I honestly, <laughs> this is, I could not believe how fast these guys were going. I mean, my whole life had been. I'd watched it from the from the sidelines. I'd been to Grand Prix before at Eastern Creek. But motocross, you know, motocross is like 60, 70 K. These guys, you know, they're like, you know, nearly 300 clicks and far out. The first time, now I just go, come on, you can go faster than that. But, <laughs> but then it was just, it was honestly took my breath away. So it was, it was a pretty wild ride. Can I, mm. I want to step back to something you were saying a little bit earlier, because I'm sure many people like to given your position and what you've done in racing lots of people look at you and think god how do i get a job like alex briggs and stuff in the paddock and i want to say back to a little bit you said about it being the the human side rather than uh, as well as obviously the professional how good you are at your job could you give a little bit more about that for anyone who's listening thinking oh, i'd love to to work in MotoGP? yeah so a lot of people ask me that same question i kind of think it's a little harder now than it was in a way because when I started, the system was the Japanese, in general, uh, owned and ran the team. They would hire a chief mechanic. The chief mechanic's job, they put the trust in the chief mechanic. So in that case, it was JB. And his job was then to build a team of people he chose as a chief mechanic to to work and race this motorcycle. So in, in the past, that's how it used to run it. Now it's uh, it's it's there's more, much more layers. You have management layers who choose people, who hire and fire. They hire and fire the chief mechanics. Um, it's just a lot more complicated now. But still, it comes back to you. You you have to be competent, okay. But then past that, it's being able to get on. That's a really big point. And and also now more than ever because the season goes for so long. By the uh, end of the season, people are sort of at each other for very small things, you know. It's kind of, it's probably how some people are going right now, cooped up in their houses with their <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. They, they're picking up the things. And that happens in the paddock because the paddock is, a, is kind of a family. And then a smaller family is your team, you know. And then the smaller, the smallest part of that is your side of the team. So the team's always two riders, your side of the team. So you, you know, the best guys are the people that have stayed around a long time generally are easy to get on with. They don't make too much of a fuss. Um, 
can travel well, deal with jet wet, jet lag well, um, and eat can eat anything, you know, because <laughs> you know I've I've seen guys come and go who are just steak and three veg, you know, and that's it, and eventually it just gets too much for them; they can't cope with it. Whereas for me, a really really good part of the job and probably the part I I am missing now and look forward to is going places to eat something different, you know. I don't know if that's answered your question, but I mean, it's got a lot to do with your character, not just your ability and your skill. I'd like to, to that boil that makes down. Sense. I'd like to boil that down What's to uh, if you want to work in MotoGP, you just have to have a really good palate, be able to eat anything. I think that's fine. <laughs> People ask me, they always say to me, you must be a fantastic mechanic. I say, ah, you know, I'm middle of the road. And they go, no, no, but you are. And I go, well, Personally, I know mechanics that are better than me. Like I know guys that work in wrecking yards yeah. on motorcycles and you can show them just the smallest part and they go, oh, yeah, that's an XL uh, 250, 1980 throttle cable and you just go, Jesus. And they know these things, you know. They're like, <laughs> but take them take them on an aeroplane anywhere and they, they'll be ruined. They just – so it's, it's a big difference, you know, but just the way you um, – approach it and stuff but yeah people always i mean really, really i've only worked on like half a dozen bikes in my life if you think about it i've worked on uh you know so and, and you can't buy them so you can't go down the shop and get them so i'm kind of useless i'm really like a battery then i only know <laughs> so, so obviously then the traveling is a big part of the job um, and a big challenge like you say by the end of the year especially you really feel that you've spent so much time with such a small group of people for you how is that challenge because you live in australia which is probably the home of the greatest racetrack i would say however mm. the majority of the calendar certainly is not local for you how is that for you traveling so far and you said you still love you must love so much about it but it must also be a challenge yeah, it's it's definitely as the seasons have got longer. When I first started, we did uh, thirteen, possibly fourteen race, thirteen or fourteen races of the first year in '93. Uh, um, so now we're up to what twenty races. The season starts very early, and it finishes late. You know, it's it's almost a, a sort of a year thing now. So that so that makes it longer and makes it harder and you're more tired. That's definitely that's definitely true and it has made it harder. But I mean, you either do it or you don't do it. So I mean, if I, if I complain and go, well, I can stop. You know, I can say this is I've had enough. But I I just look at it as a really long bus ride. I don't I don't really worry. It's often it's the only time I I sleep. I sleep really well on planes. I sleep a lot. Same. Uh, <laughs> Me too. Yes. I don't I don't particularly. The thing I don't like about, about, I mean, it's a first world um, gripe, is just the checking in, the checking out of everything, checking into a hotel, checking into the airport, uh, getting on, getting off, all of those things. The actual flying, well, I'm pretty happy with it. In fact, in the majority of the times, I, I would fly through points or through the team, uh, the system we have, most of the big flights, I'm in business class. It's not that bad, you know. Like, so I'm flying, I'm watching a movie, or I'm sleeping. I'm, I don't mind that. It's just the checking in and checking out is the thing that 
if I had to pick something that was great, great's on you is that. And the next thing would be having to go, this is going to sound so bad. <laughs> Wait for this. Because, <laughs> because, uh, because I know what people are like. You know, they, they go, oh, man, a holiday, you know, great, a hotel. So you might stay in a wonderful hotel. And the thing that really annoys you and irks you after a while is like, oh, I've got to have a shower. I've got to get dressed. I've got to go downstairs. I've got to order dinner. And I'm tired and I don't, don't really want to do that. Whereas at home, I just go, oh, I would just love to watch the TV and have a toasted sandwich in my underpants. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Dirty. Yeah. <laughs> sort of thing that after a long time you start going oh do i really have to you know go to a five-star restaurant and eat dinner with a bunch of guys that i ate dinner with yesterday you know yeah it's that's they're the small things and they're the things i was t- telling about that some people don't deal well with and they're the people that don't hang around long in this job yeah i get you so. is there was there ever a point obviously going through, with however many years you've you've actually been in the paddock and traveling at any point where you ever considered Man, do I should I really move to Europe to make this a bit easier logistics wise? I have had in a couple of times where I've had an apartment when we worked at when I worked for Honda, so that was period from ninety uh, three to two thousand, um, and we had an apartment, a couple of guys, and we did that instead of hotels. It was okay, but. The hotels were just easier because you were you're really not there that long because you're off to a race back. And then when my kids were very young, they were two years old. Uh, two years old, yeah, two years old. I think they turned three. My wife and I decided to do the same sort of thing. We'd go to Belgium, have a flat, and live there for for well the majority of the year. It's like six months or something, six to seven months. Uh, but it was actually harder for us because my wife didn't know the language. Um, once I it was great for the few days I'm home, and then once I went away, uh, it was hard because she was left alone with two kids, no friends, no base. So I have we didn't think about it, but the problem was always always came back to the same problem as a one year contract. What would I if somebody said, mm-hmm. "Hey, you're going to work for Honda for ten years," or "Hey, you're going to work for Yamaha," you know, for this long, or let's say, I mean. The whole time, what have I been, 27, 28 years or something? Is that right? I don't know. 93 to now. You, you guys do the maths. 27, yeah. I think it's 27. So this <laughs> sure it's 27th year. It's because I was 26 uh, the, the other week and I was born in uh, 94. Right, okay. So I think, yeah, okay. So imagine <laughs> that if they said, yeah, of course you would. You would have gone, right, you know, I'm going to buy I'm going to buy property and either both, but it just didn't happen like that. So, um, that's a good explanation. That makes sense. So let's go back to riders then and career. When you first went into road racing, you said your first job was Phillip Island. Yeah. Who was the first person you worked with and what was that experience like? How was your baptism by fire on tarmac? That was awesome. It was great. I worked for Daryl Beattie. Um, he had done fantastically well in the Japanese. Japan used to have a fantastic championship for uh, 500cc riders and he was he'd done great and honda wanted him to go to europe and so we both went to europe together for the first time me him uh his dad it was great i loved it i mean i remember everyone just taking the piss out of me so bad because I, I turned up to phillip island because we're going from phillip island on to maybe japan and i'd never been and then off to europe and i'd never been to any of these places so 
Uh, I had as a kid, but, you know, kids are nothing, right? So I had a dive bag. I mean, it was a jet ski bag, like as big as the biggest rider's bag you've seen. Well, now they have but a massive bag, a backpack, a full camera bag with an SLR camera and and a video, like with with a cassette. You put cassettes in them and videos. Like I was going, and uh, guys, when I turned up with that, they just laughed and laughed and laughed. I remember meeting a guy called uh, George Vukmanovich. I mean, some people won't know him, but and would introduce me to him and said, "This guy here." has forgotten uh, more than you're ever going to learn, you know. It was one of those moments. And he looked at my bag and just laughed, laughed, <laughs> and laughed. George is only a... It was so funny. And uh, now I'm just I'm just a wheelie bag or a backpack. I never check, I never check on anything unless I have golf clubs, which is another story. But anyway, so really now I'm just hand carry only everything. So I never check. Your point about golf there, I do want to ask, how many countries have you played golf in? during your uh, entire career i should i should start counting them up uh, i don't know but i've played at some really good places because of this job you know like we i played at pebble beach right because uh with gavin emmett and we played there one time um and my mate stuart just because we were there you know but it was 500 bucks for a round there what? but we thought yeah i know, I know but we got we got the uh flight flight paid for if you know what i mean like we're there and uh now i think it's even close to six hundred dollars but anyway i wouldn't i would don't think i'd pay that again but it was great um st andrews i played in st andrews because i've got a good mate through twitter through through this whole game uh stewart and stewart lives not far from um, um st andrews in scotland so i go there when i get the chance so generally, if I have a week between races and I, I'm not coming home, I try to take the clubs. I've got another mate in Spain, Steve, through Twitter again. Uh-huh. And I go to his family. It's like, I think we've been doing that for 10 years now. I go go to his place, um, play golf. It's great. I love it. Uh, we've played in some weird places too, like uh, places where you wouldn't think Czech Republic have played in with some of the guys from the team. There's a few guys in the team are crazy. Japan's crazy for golf, mainly really? driving range Didn't stuff. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, Japanese are crazy, but it's all about uh, well, you know how they get into things like full full blown. Yeah, so uh, driving ranges are their thing there. It's good fun. A few of the guys in the team are addicted now. <laughs> all because of you. <laughs> I like it because it's actually the opposite of everything we do. So yeah. people just like it because um, it's on grass, not on bitumen. It's just <laughs> you, not a team. It's only your fault or your your work only, so it's not a team thing. It's quiet because basically we're all well, nearly deaf. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just it's the complete opposite of everything I do. So it's 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 my I, you know, I love it. That's cool. Um, so St Andrews, I went to university there and now I'm really freaked out if you were there at the same time. Maybe we walked past each other in like 2012 and never knew. <laughs> I, lo- I, love- I love that town, even if it um, even if it didn't have a golf course. I think it's a great place. I love it. I love all the little nooks and crannies and little shops and stuff. I love it. 
That's it like, is cool. It's pretty cool. I can't complain. That's why I wanted to stay quiet because I was like, "Said Andrew's okay, because uh, uh, of course, fair enough." <laughs> yeah. Um, really, okay. That that actually links us on perfectly because next I wanted to ask you next about Twitter. You mentioned there you got two good buddies who you go and play golf with from Twitter. You're one of the what I would describe as the OGs of Twitter, uh, the old school <laughs> guys of Twitter, um, from bringing giving people a unique insight into the paddock. Where did that yeah. idea come from? Tell us about that. The, the initial idea came from um, Susie Perry. Susie Perry, uh, you probably know Susie. I mean, most people might, especially if you're uh, um, European or British. So Su- Susie had um, gone into Twitter and, and just told me about it. And I went, oh, I'll see what it's all about. And this was early stages. You know, I, I don't really even remember the year. 2009, nine, eight, yeah, maybe nine or so. Okay, so something like that. And um, just to see what it was about, you know. And then once I understood what it was about, I just sort of started, you know. And uh, I remember going to William when the following started. I mean, I remember just having like two or three followers and it was just nothing. I didn't really understand it. I was just fumbling my way through but then it started to just ramp up. It just people, it, Twitter took off, um, and this whole idea of being looking into a sport or somebody's life from the inside just seemed to just blow up, you know. And I remember going to Willie, our team um, communications guy, media guy at the time, who still still is now, uh, and saying, "Willie, man, I've got a problem." Yeah, so I've got this the Twitter thing and it's just going off the handle, you know. <laughs> he, he knew about it, he understood it. He said, oh, you know, for, for now I think you can carry on and just you don't be stupid with it. So off we went and it just got bigger and bigger. And the reason I did it mainly was because I remember what it was like being a kid with all those posters in my bedroom, all of that, wanting to know what it was like to be, in, in my case, it was motocross and supercross. So if I could find out about the riders or the mechanics and what they did to bikes, I just would have loved that. So I've always kind of mostly had that in the back of my head. Like imagine there's a kid now, he's looking, he wants to know what it's like. That's who I'm sort of talking to. I'm talking to people who want to see what it's like behind because I wanted to do that when I was involved in racing as a kid or a young man. So So I'm doing it for that reason it kind of got out of hand and now it's it went it was really good for a while i had some fantastic games and ideas and stuff but as teams got more and more corporate and more and more official they came down more and more on me so i got my scope was reduced somewhat but then we we had some great times so the people that got on early man it was good fun (laughs) i was one of them so it was it was it was awesome and were you working? Were you working in MotoGP at the time, or was no, no, no? Like, like I, uh, I was, I was doing some amateur, amateur blogging at the time, like t- 2010, 2011. I was like, I remember even first getting. I don't remember what you said, but I remember getting a reply from you. And I was like, Dad, I just got a reply from Valentino Rossi's mechanic. I was good reply, yeah. yeah. Like I tried to reply if <laughs> I can, and I still like Twitter for that. Like Instagram, I have an Instagram account, and it's good for photos. It looks great and all that, but. Um, I really like Twitter because you can have a, a chat backwards and forwards. Mm. I mean, everyone talks about Twitter being a cesspool and all of these things. I just have not found it. Like, I mean, I don't 
I don't head off down political, you know, I just don't do too much of things that would get you in massive strife. But generally, motorcycle people seem to be great, and I've never really had any trouble, and I love it. And like I said, I've met a couple of, lots of people, you know, not just these two friends. I've made plenty more. Mm. And so, yeah, but the two golfing friends are, you know, probably be friends long after Twitter's long gone. Quite. <laughs> well, that's a good review then, definitely, for that. And everyone, make sure you uh, check out Alex on Twitter and maybe right. Instagram. You're going to have a lot more people trying to stalk you on there now. <laughs> I, I, um, I don't mind. I, 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 don't, I don't mind at all. It's, just, it's, it's good, like I said. I don't, if they want to see what it's like to be me, fine. I don't mind. I, like I said, I remember being that kid, so... No problem. For That's that. cool. Okay, so we're, we're going to rewind then again, or I am going to rewind us back to your me- career mechanicing. Um, so you started out with Daryl Beatty, yep. and then you moved on to uh, somebody, like we said at the start, worked currently for one of the greatest ever, but there was another one before him as well. Uh, what can you tell us about the riders that you've worked with and your experiences with them? Just a little bit. We don't want too much dirt, don't worry. <laughs> People ask those sort of questions quite a bit. They always ask things like, well, the most question I get asked the most out of every question from when I've started to now is, okay, they find out what you do for a job, and then the next question is 99%, what's he like? That is the question that everyone always asks. And it's, you know, I don't know what, what people actually want. Do they want dirt? Do they want me to say <laughs> He's a prick. I hate him. Or what? What do they? You know, <laughs> I've been so lucky, and all the guys I've worked for have been great. Daryl is is the nicest fella you could ever meet, and I mean, he stopped in here not so long ago, had a chat. He was taking his kid for flying lessons. His kids are now the same age as mine, like twenty something, and they'll. You know, he's still great. He's always pestering me to go on his uh, trail rides. He runs a, a really fantastic trail riding business all through Australia. So Daz is great. Uh, Mick was a different type of person. Mick was very, as a racer, he, he's like now and when what he was like as a racer are quite different. And when he was a racer, he just wanted to, he wanted to be first at everything. He wanted to be the first guy in practice. He wanted to be the first guy uh, in the race, obviously. He wanted to lead the first lap. He wanted to... Uh, qualify first which is strange because often he qualified crap but anyway um, <laughs> but you know and uh, or no sorry he would qualify first often sorry but the first lap he'd be like make it hard for himself and had to come through again he'd do that a lot and we'd always go what was it you know anyway so want to be want to be first out of the test into the airport that was another thing like first in the rent car it wow. was like that okay <laughs> i remember we'd, he'd be first on the track um especially when we had private tests it was almost like okay i'm done i'm catching the three o'clock into the gold coast unless there's anything else and that was that was it you know <laughs> um we're done so off he'd go uh and now and so he's a very intense rider and he used to ride in my opinion he rode I'd call it almost an aggressive rider, like a like like a warrior, almost who wanted he'd get hyped up to go racing. Sometimes he'd pick a fight with one of the other mechanics. I think he would pick one just to get hyped up, but I don't know. 
he he probably wouldn't say that. And uh, he seemed to ride better when he was almost angry, a little angry or aggressive, you know. And he he was great. He was the greatest. I, but I didn't really know too much until I met uh, Valentino. I didn't really realize that races could be polar opposites almost, you know. Like so, Mick was aggressive, like all that. He's completely different now. Um, but he and Valentino is when people say, what's he like? I mean, he's like how you see him on TV. That's how he is, give or take. You know, there's a there's a, obviously private stuff and there's a little bit of this and that. But generally what you see on TV is, is so close to how he is that you could almost say, great. And I've said in other interviews before, I think, that if he wasn't a great motorcycle racer and you were his parents, you would be proud of this guy because he's a good guy but i mean we're talking this is these interviews i might have done years ago now he's he's a 40 year old man you know yeah. <laughs> I, i'm i'm 50 he's 40 like it's a long time but but he was a kid when, when when i started working with him but he's he rides in my opinion he's always ridden his best i would call him a happy racer like he's always happy jovial rides best when when things are going well and he's up and happy and the you know he often would joke he still does still jokes on the on the grid sometimes you know like uh about an umbrella girl or about another rider or about something or the position we found ourselves in right at the back one time or here or there so he's he's often he's a happy racer it's hard to explain whereas mick was an angry racer daryl was uh was uh he was very focused when it came to the race but he was generally a happy racer too, I would say. It's a bit hard to explain, but when you when you write there, but anyway, makes sense to us. That's my take. I think on. that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I understood what you meant there. I feel like I'm rambling, but anyway, it's what we're here for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's what we enjoy. Uh, something. I haven't worn this shirt since we did a photo shoot in. Uh, I don't know. I think it must have been Qatar, and that was it. Really, Qatar test. Maybe Malaysia, we did something, but that was it. And this morning, I was going, where the hell is that shirt? I need a shirt. Uh, <laughs> down the hallway. You know. Well, that was what I wanted to ask you. I mean, it's been so long. What You've got a lot of land, uh, a lot of things to do around there, everything from growing pineapples of all things. You're the person who I realised how pineapples grew. I didn't know. Um, and then making – you made a fly <laughs> catcher out of – what would you say? Sorry? They're very simple. Yeah, yeah and great. Pineapple. And what you made a, a fly catcher the other day as well, uh, which I don't think Ellen was quite too chuffed about. Well, no, she, she liked, well, she said to me, there's a lot of ways, can you do something about it? So she uh, she said, can you make something? And so I made a fly trap. That wasn't the problem. It's just one of those ones where you cut a, a Coke bottle or something, turn the top upside down and tape it up so they go in, can't get out, you know. But you need an attractant and... Uh, most people use soft drinks or um, beer or and i just well well they're all on the, our dog shit right there that's where the flies are so i'm going to put that in the fly catcher and she i don't understand where the disconnect came like clearly they like that that's what's going to attract them <laughs> and then we checked it the following day and there was nothing in there but there was no flies either so i said well it's that bad that there's just no flies here. So, 
Perfect. I, I should check it again. And so what? We have a bit of, we have a bit of fun here. I've got, we have about 40 acres. Um, we don't have any cattle at the moment. We've just uh, sold all of them, but uh, we've got bees. Like you said, we grow a bit of pineapple, just mucking around. It, it's not it's not a viable farm. It's just an expense, really, but it's great to be able to live here, especially in this time when I've got so many things to do. I mean, I'm in the garage now, and there's a million jobs. I'd love to show you through it, but it's just that. It's, it's like when people say, oh, don't mind my house. It's a real mess. But that's what it's like in here. I need to clean that up. <laughs> After you, Fran, I was gonna, I was gonna ask oh, okay. a bit more I about the, the free ask. time. No, no, um, no. That's that was all uh, covered. What I wanted to. Well, ask. yeah, that's the the biggest topic at the moment, isn't it? Obviously, we're all waiting to go racing again. Hopefully, at some point soon. What have you been up to then, other than your pineapples and that stuff? What's your kind of day to day situation at the moment? What you're getting into? Well, I'm. Over the last few years, I've let so many things go that I, I'm flat out busy at home. I, I could probably go another couple of months and still still find jobs. So, uh, <laughs> it's I've been on the track to doing work. I've helped a friend do some work. Um, I do a lot of work for our golf club. That actually in Australia we're still able to play golf as it's a sport, and uh, so uh, yeah, we're under pretty strict rules. But at the moment. We're, we've got this sort of half shut down situation going on, I and mean, that could change tomorrow. But um, anyway, so I've been doing a bit of work for them because I'm I'm on the board of our little local country golf club. Of course. Yeah, I, but only because no one put their hand up at the board meeting, <laughs> so I got <laughs> a little club. But it's great, it's great fun. Um, today I, I had to work on my car because it's. Something went wrong with the brakes, so I had to do that. And I hate working on cars. I hate, although you can see a nice car in the background. That's my wife's car. It's a 1960 Holden. Uh, so it's pretty nice. I hate, generally hate cars. I like working on that one. So. It's a, it does look quite a, quite a classic, I've got to say. Even from here, it looks pretty fancy. Yeah, yeah. Well, 1960. Called an, it's, <laughs> it's designation is called an FB. Um, anyway. It's it's a good car. It's very basic, and maybe that's what it stands for. Um, <laughs> uh, what else have I done? I've, well, today I weed killed on my quad bike, which is behind here too. Quad, so I sprayed some weeds. I got I've got endless jobs. I'm not even close <laughs> to being out of jobs. My wife is going a little bit crazy because um, she's a a comedian, a stand up comedian, and all her work dried up in an instant. Like. Mm. Once all the clubs shut down, once all that happened, nightclubs, that's it. You know, nowhere to stand up anymore. Uh, all corporate gigs and emceeing, all of that disappeared for her. So uh, I think she, I think she's – maybe that's why she doesn't mind me coming to the shed. I don't know. <laughs> got, to, got, got to have your own space, I guess, if you're around a lot more than usual. Yeah, and I've decided to, I don't think I'm going to shave until we start racing again, so – same wow, but I don't, okay. I don't think I'd even get to Alex's yeah. level if I did that I shaved for a week or two and then I went what's the point so <laughs> I'm just not going to bother okay well Alex we've got something else which we, which we want to do with you just at the end of every episode we do a quick fire questions round uh, and uh, this one brought to you by Kenwood is our lovely sponsor of the podcast so uh, thank you very much Kenwood as always for sponsoring it But so it's very simple quick fire so a couple of the questions will be like just a standard one-word answer. A couple will be 
which do you prefer, either or? And uh, myself and Fran will do one each. So, you ready? I guess so. Okay. Hit me. Okay, so, take it away, Fran. First one. So, what's your favourite circuit? I would say Magello. I like any circuit with uh, undulations and elevation change. So, Bruno, <laughs> Phillip Island, Magello. What is your... So, Magello is going to be number one. Okay. Well, what is your favourite food? Uh, <laughs> like I said, I enjoy all of them. I, that's what I love about this job. So, I don't know. I, I'm pr- I like Thai, actually. It probably would be one of my picks. Thai food. Good choice. Good I mean, choice. See, I, I, love, I love it all. That's part of this job that I really like. So, what's more hectic, Mugello or Mizano? <sighs> They're both mental. For, for our team, it's crazy. In the team, we, we refer to them amongst the mechanics as this race is double points <laughs> because that's how everyone seems to behave around us because they're all crazy. We, we, we're quite calm, but everyone around us, it's like, ah. <laughs> I think Mazzano has probably come become more crazy, you know, just recently, but I love the craziness of Magello. Mm-hmm. I remember, you know, oh, this is meant to be quick fire, isn't it? So I'm really hey, going well, on. No, it. but we can, we no, can make it to an edit. You go, you go. Well, I remember going there uh, early on in Valentino's career and uh, walking around the circuit um, after after one of the days. And when they used to have, well, they still do it a bit, but they used to have the engines on both sides of the valley with the exhaust pipes. Uh, I mean, you would have seen those pipes, but everyone's seen them. And once they saw me, these guys, I couldn't, I can't speak Italian still, and Valentino still takes a piss out of me to this day about it. <laughs> Because I told him I was going to learn the very first day I met him. So, uh, and I haven't. But anyway, so I go back to the story. Anyway, up up the hills there, and you talk to these guys, and they were just, hey, come and have a look at this, you know. And they give me some bread, and then they go, look at this, and they show me spark plugs that are just toasted from revving these engines all night, and they've just blown, they've got these engines blown to pieces, and they've got backup engines, car, car engines, you know, it was great, you know. And so walking up. <laughs> I love that. I love that madness, like the the crowd, because it's a it's a crowd that stays at the circuit. Mizano is a day crowd, crazy for us. Busy. It's probably busier for us as mechanics because of our team and Valentino. And uh, but I like the craziness of Mugello more than I like the craziness of Mizano, just because I think that the fact that they um, they camp and and uh, that type of thing. Yes. Um, what is uh, one retro motocross trend or phrase you wish everyone would still do or even say if it's a phrase it's trick have you heard that yeah although I heard it in yeah. snowboarding more right well in motocross it used to... in Australia there was another phrase because it was a clothing <laughs> company called go the rat and it used to be a clothing company and people used to just say go the rat when I was a kid <laughs> it was a great company I've bought retro shirts since with Go The Rat and nobody knows what that means. Um, but <laughs> trick, trick. I, a factory is cool too. You know, factory, 
Like that's factory dude. You know, we used to say that all the time, and we still do a little bit. People say that. That's but awesome. Now, but now that I am in a factory team, I mean, what does that mean, really? It's factory. <laughs> it's basically going to work. It's like it's trick. You know, I like man, that's trick. You know, that little thing, that little bit that costs a lot of money and won't actually make you go faster, but looks good. That's a trick. Awesome. So that's what I go with. <laughs> Okay, what are your favorite wins with any rider that you've worked with? So you don't have to pick one, but you can't say everyone. Yeah. I would probably say the best one is welcome for me with Valentino when he when he uh, rode a Yamaha for the first time. That That is probably the still the one that's the greatest for me um, because I knew the whole background. I knew how we got there, all of that. Um, with Mick, it's almost, this is bad, but almost like it's it's not as fresh in my memory anymore. But I remember when we won in Bruno, he won the championship. Um, that was my first championship. And it was in 94 with, in Bruno. And that was, I remember that, but I was i was still a kid. I remember going to the nightclub afterwards and getting kicked out and Daryl trying to save me and a, a little bit of a punch up and stuff. It was great. So I remember that. That was good. Wow. Welcome. A story. Easily the best. And uh, yeah, you should hear someone's. That's another time. <laughs> um, and, uh, um, and I. There's a couple of a couple of Barcelona. The one where Valentino and Jorge go for it, hammer and tong. And to be honest, it almost seems like it just depended on what lap it was going to finish. I know that Valentino's pass was fantastic, and if you watch that, you can see that he makes a predetermined decision to shift a gear down to make that corner that would have not he would have lost out down the straight clearly, but it was enough to get him over the line, you know. So that was a good choice, and obviously, and it was a famous race. But Laguna was good with uh, with Casey because of just it was good. It was a strategy there that JB and Valentino came up with because basically Casey was going to kick our ass easily that that race. And I remember JB and Valentino had said, "Well, I think I don't know if it was JB, but I think JB had said." Uh, the only way you can win this is if you get in front of him because he doesn't expect it. Because he, he should have just kicked our ass easily. Because he was fast. But um, So Valentino, all he did that whole race was mm-hmm. just try to get in front. Just get in front. By any means, get in front. Get in front and just keep doing that. Because if he was to do one lapper in front, we were toast. So, wow. uh, and, and that was a good race. But still... Welcome and welcome. I think, I think Dorna. I mean, MotoGP just played that race. I read somewhere just recently. Was it a free thing or something? Uh, BT just, Sport were doing yeah. a big show about it, and then yeah, right. Okay, so so that was a that was a great race, and the bike was was okay, but it wasn't great by any means at that point. But Valentino made the difference. He wanted to win that so badly, and so did Max because Max would had been saying. If I only had a Honda, if I only had a Honda, I could win. I could win. You know, all this sort of stuff. 
And so it came down to a lot of pride in that race. And it was one of Max's best races, in my opinion. Max would disagree, I'm sure. But just <laughs> iron thing. And then just seeing Valentino ride with a bike, it was good, but it wasn't great. Mm. You know? We'd built, we'd done a lot of work to get to that point, And he just made the difference. And it, all that year, we had lots of issues, but he kept making the difference. So that was a, that race is still, that's the one. And the party after that. Oh, man. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not a party like people always say to you, oh, you know, what's it like? You must have a great party, you know. And I remember saying one time in an interview and got in trouble for it a little bit. I said to the to the interview person, it's not all hookers and cocaine, you know. And <laughs> I think people think it's going to be like this. It's like the race finishes and you guys know because I see you guys working. I know what it's like. You know what it's like. We just pack up and it takes ages to pack up and then we go to a hotel and we fall on the bed sometimes and wake up three or four hours later still dressed. And people just go, yeah, you must party so hard. And you're like, but oh, welcome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but welcome, we did have a party, but it, was, it wasn't a party like, like that. It was a party of, it was really just pure joy from all the people involved, the Japanese and... A relief and accomplishment it was just everything you could think of and people ended up in swimming pools and stuff and i, I remember the japanese in the morning looking across at the we didn't have mobile phones then so everyone would you know how you get thrown in a pool now and you just go oh my god my phone my phone but that didn't happen then and um <laughs> japanese were walking to the uh, to their plane at the airport i remember just listening to the noise of the shoes squelching because I was still wet. <laughs> That's, you know, one change of clothes. So that was great. That was great. That was awesome. great. That was probably – so that's my race. That is a very short answer, right? Yeah, no, yeah absolutely. Totally worth it. Totally worth it. Okay, next one, though. We're mixing these up between racing and then personal as well. What's your personal ratio of a good game of golf to a frustrating game of golf? Um, in golf, personal, right? Well, I tell you, in golf, you can be crap all day and have one good shot, and that'll bring you back. That'll, like, you just go, man, I hit that so good. And unless you're a golfer, you'll never know the feeling of actually hitting the ball properly. It's really hard to do. It hardly ever happens. But when you actually get one out of the middle, it does what it's supposed to do. It goes as far as it's supposed to go. And there's a shape to a golf ball when it flies in the air, which seems bizarre to anyone that doesn't play it. But you see the shape of the ball, the way which means the way it's traveling and you just go, oh, <laughs> <laughs> you have a crap game or just crap, crap, crap. The one shot, that's enough. Awesome. So. Okay. Uh, maybe one day I too will know that joy. Um, but for now. <laughs> yeah. My wife can't. She hates it. Valentino says he doesn't think it's any good. It's too slow. But a couple of other guys, uh, his rider coach, Adalio, he's, He's, he and I are a similar level, so he loves it. I played with him in Spain, and I think he had his very first hole-in-one. I've never had a hole-in-one. Wow. And, uh, but he's a typical, because he's an ex-rider, right? So he's a typical rider. Like, it was a great shot, and it went in a hole-in-one. He's still like, ah, you know, it's not quite perfect. And he's a Dahlia. <laughs> it's a hole-in-one. But no, they've still got something to complain about. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> okay. Next one. Favorite film. 
Uh, we just talked about this the other day because someone sent me one of those uh, chain yeah. Twitter things, you know. I'd say on any Sunday. Uh, it's a motocross film Great from way, way back. Was my number one film. The Big Lebowski is another really good one. and Also classic. And Star Wars, because I remember going to Star Wars with my dad. That was one of the first. I, mean, I was homesick. I think I'd, I'd crashed my bicycle or broken my arm or something, and my dad took me to Star Wars. So I've done that with my kids uh, ever since. And so that, oh, yeah, you know, we've done the midnight midnight screenings of Star Wars with my kids. Awesome. Well, one of them is makes it a bit so. But, yeah, so Star Wars, The Big Lebowski, um, and uh, on any Sunday, probably my top three. Do you ask one or two or three or just one, right? Just one, but <laughs> always more is better. I'm just hoping it's just rambling. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. The guy for the for the quick fire questions video, they we can we can edit it. It's not a problem. But this is all gold. We're, we're, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, what is the scariest animal you've found lurking on your property? Um. The brown snakes are the ones that scare you here a little bit. They're, uh, oh, yeah. Everyone calls them brown snakes. Um, they're, they're snakes that are actually can be aggressive. Like most of the other snakes, even though poisonous, generally have want nothing to do with you. Um, but most of the ones around here are fine. The tree snakes or uh, black snakes. There's ones that can kill you, okay, yeah, sure. But the brown snake can kill you. And they're aggressive. Most people in Australia, if they get bitten by a brown snake, survive because we have, you know, anti-venom, and and sometimes they will even bite you and not, uh, not, not inject you with venom. It's just a, a piss-off bite, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> but, uh, I've never been bitten by one. Don't want to. And most people get injured by them trying to kill them or trying to move them. Best thing to do: just walk away. <laughs> walk away. Top tip. Next one is a simple one. Vegemite, yes or no? Yes. Okay. Uh, what is one thing... Actually, no, I'll do it because these ones come in twos. Uh, what's one stereotype about Aussies which isn't true? I think they're all pretty true. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the next one is, what's a stereotype about Aussies that is true? <laughs> you tell me one that you know, and I'll, and I'll say, yep, I've got a mate just like that. Do you know me? I mean, like, um, you tell me, tell me, like Vegemite, most people do, most Aussies do. Eat meat pies, most Aussies do. Shrimp on the barbies. Um, yeah, that, that was more of an advertising campaign, but we just throw everything on the barbecue. So shrimp on the barbecue is more for the – no one calls them shrimp, really. It's just a prawn. But, yeah, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, we're not Americans. Yeah. Here, but, yeah. Uh, so maybe that's one of those ones that, that, that's not quite right, but that was more for uh, um, an advertising campaign to America and the shrimp on the barbecue thing. So. Ah, okay, that would make sense. I didn't yeah, know that. Uh, yeah. So, but in Australia, we throw everything on the barbie all the time. Bit like, uh, bit like Americans, we, we like, and South Africans, we love the barbecue. Perfect. Over to you, Fran. Well, I'll, I'll do the meal. I'll do the meat on the barbecue. Ellen will do the vegetables. A because if it spits everywhere, it doesn't really matter. You don't have to clean it after. Yeah. You just leave it till next time. <laughs> okay. 
All right, uh, two more, two more. All right. Uh, first, so, is it you, Fran? I think it's you, but okay. then you paused, so I was like, ugh. Okay, I'll Jump go. In. You like, like Mick, you like Mick, Fran, just, it's got to be first. <laughs> is there such a thing as the as a, uh, a more complicated circuit for a mechanic, regardless of the rider? Yeah, but only due to garage. Nothing to do with the circuit other than... I mean, you're talking from the setting of the bike? I don't... From my from my perspective, it's the garage facility or the difficulty to get to them can be. Like some are great, some are terrible. They're all generally pretty good now. Phillip Island is, is actually one of the worst ones, which is bad. It used to be Donington Park, and, then, you know, until I, when we scrapped Donington Park, uh, now it's Australia's kind of one of the worst... It's a great paddock, great atmosphere, but actually working in the garage, really small, very low, you know, that sort of stuff. Whereas a place like Aragon, um, Barcelona, most of them, you know, are quite are quite big and easy to work at. Uh, yeah. Also. Okay, so finally, that, yeah, that's a good answer. So finally, the last one then, what is the riders or if it's not valentino a riders best celebration you've seen um best celebration i mean there's a classic valentino one um like the toilet uh as it was it was aprilio wasn't it 250 or 125 when he ran into the toilet that was a classic well I don't know. I, I see them on TV. I don't. I don't see them so much on the on the race. I remember just being yeah. relieved. I think went okay, you know. I kind of like it when he just uh, looks at you as he goes past, and you can see his face or his eyes. Then when he goes past on the pit board, or I used to do the radio out on the track. And he sometimes he would stop and say, you know, hey, thanks, whatever, hug. So those, those were the ones that I remember, but specific, no, I remember some that went wrong that, that are kind of classics, like getting beaten in uh, Germany. Uh, I think Sete beat us over the, over the line. He was going to have a classic celebration with the, with the uh, they'd made a fake tower from Tavulia. They were going to bring it out, and it was halfway out in the gravel trap with the, uh, with the, uh, the, I don't know what you call them, the vicar, the priest or whatever yeah. from the town. And they had to they had to back it up and he didn't understand what was going on. So because he was about to win but he didn't win, so that was kind of a, just a disaster oh, one. No. Went all- oh. I don't know. Well, I'm sort of thinking of it. You know the one <laughs> I like? One the one we won in um, in Donington Park in the rain. And he I think he stood up on the foot pegs and did he play like the violin? Was that then? Like yes, I think so. I can see it in my head. I'm not sure which race it was. I reckon I reckon that was Donington Park. It was pouring rain and he was leading, but he kept going faster and kept and we were all just I remember just freaking out going, He doesn't need to keep going fast. <laughs> oh the guy you need is Valentino. He knows every not just his racing, he knows every date, every lap of everyone else's race in cars, in Formula One, in rally cars. He's like a really? computer. So that's what you need to ask. Like, he's unreal with that stuff. But 
I'm hopeless, obviously. But I think it was Donington Park, and I think it's in the rain, and it might have even been his first win on a 500. Awesome. Okay. Yeah, that does that does I, ring a bell. I've done this too long. <laughs> yeah, I know. People <laughs> in the comments, they'll just be going, like, they don't understand that it just will this fall into a blur. This guy, clearly, how did he get the job? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, okay. Well, that's that's all we have from, right. from Kenwood, so thank you for those. Not so quick fire, but still golden, so can't, can't knock those whatsoever. Yeah, then you're going to miss out on all that gold. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. Right, well, I think that pretty much concludes today's podcast. Yeah. Video, right. audio experience. Yeah, visual, Thanks, visual Briggs. Uh, What's that, sorry? Visual Briggs we dubbed you in the uh, in the intro for this one because uh, this is the first one we've done through Skype video. Um, so, oh, yeah, it was a bit of an experiment. Yeah, we've done the previous ones to this. Well, we had calls, and then we did two in person. We had Randy Mamela at the uh, Barcelona HQ, and then we did Tom Lutie in Qatar. But then this is the first right. one we're trying with Skype. Okay, cool. Oh, it seems to work okay. Yeah, exactly. So I, I hope, think so. I hope everyone at home has enjoyed this and, uh, and well, gotten to know you a little bit better. And also, apologies if there are any technical gremlins. We hope it's, it's been all right by end of my ears, so hopefully all good. I think so too, yeah, hopefully. Oh. All right, great. Well, Alex, stay well. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. You guys too. See you. Bye. Bye. Bye.